Uh, I must apologize, my, uh, my voice is cracking just a little bit, um, and some of that is just uh, being under the weather and that sickness that's going around. Some of it may have to do with the fact that I spent the last two days yelling and screaming and staying up late and lighting things on fire, but it's fine, it's fine. Um, and uh, I very much enjoyed uh, my time out with uh, the men this weekend at the men's retreat and uh, a wonderful time of, of fellowship um, and uh, study in the book of Daniel. Uh, and we, we really enjoyed that. Uh, this morning, we want to keep going on our study in the Gospel of John that we're calling Come and See, uh, with the idea that um, we, we are going to lay aside the expectations and the assumptions that we have about what the Messiah ought to be, and instead come to Jesus and learn who he is on his terms, as we see Jesus doing that repeatedly throughout the Gospel of John. What I want to do this morning is look at John chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Um, those that have been following along know, hey, we're skipping some things. Yes, we are skipping uh, kind of through this series. Uh, what we've done is we've broken down these weeks uh, into a reading plan, and each week there's a section that you can read. Uh, if you go to hcclinuxville.ca slash John, not only will you see the reading plan for this week in, uh, I think it's all of chapter six this week, um, but you'll also see some discussion questions uh, that uh, if they are helpful for you, great, wonderful, to God be the glory. Uh, and if they are not helpful for you, uh, forget about it, and I'm not even a little bit offended. So um, those are for you to use however, uh, however it is helpful for you. Um, so before we jump in, there, I just want to briefly touch on a few of the things that we've skipped Last week, uh, if you've been following along, you read kind of the tail end of chapter 4 and through chapter 5, and there are some things that happen in there, some miraculous things, and even in contrast to what we have seen leading up to then. Um, what we see in, in, in the part that, uh, that we've uh, skipped over is healing a paralytic on the Sabbath, this miraculous thing that happens. And then Jesus is going to feed 5,000 men and their families, probably a very famous uh, miracle that you've heard of. And then immediately after that, Jesus is walking on the water. And finally, in the middle of the night, while there's this storm, Jesus gets into the boat. And in John's gospel, it's a little bit confusing. We're not entirely sure exactly what's happening, but we know there is something miraculous that happens with the, the boat being transported. Suddenly they were at the other side of the lake and that kind of a thing. And then we come to, after all of these kind of miraculous works, what we come to is, uh, as is commonly the, the form in, in John's gospel, after a miracle, there's teaching. There are people who say, hey, let's talk about that. We, we want to we know more about what you're doing. And Jesus has this discourse following a miracle, and that's what I want to look at today, even as we have the feeding of the 5,000 uh, in the back of our minds, which has just happened. So John chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, they is the crowd that's followed him from the feeding of the 5,000 and everything, they said to him, Rabbi, 
when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that when we may see and believe you, what work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give, him, give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me." 
This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This is God's word. (coughs) God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us by it. We thank you also for the way that you reveal who you are and your character and your great love for us and your mission to redeem us to yourself all through the person of your Son, Christ Jesus. I pray that we would here even take hard and confusing things that Jesus says and that we would humble ourselves enough to learn from you, to learn who you are, that you might abide in us and we in you, God. I pray that we would grow this morning, we would grow to be more like Christ. We pray it all in his name. Amen. I want you to imagine you've never been to church before. You've never even heard about church. What is this thing? And the very first time you ever step foot in church or attend a Sunday service was last week. Here. And you come in and you have coffee and people are greeting you and they're friendly and you're like, okay, this is cool. All right, we're singing some songs. That's pretty neat. Oh, they're doing a skating day. I like that. Name tags. Okay, this sounds like a fun community. And then someone gets up and says, this is for members only. We must eat the flesh and drink the blood of the God-man, our Savior. You would go, what? What? Hang on, that took a turn. You might, quite understandably, think to yourself, what kind of cult have I stumbled into? And yet that is what happens whenever we take communion. That is kind of what we're saying. And that can sometimes be a hard thing to understand. And I find it really comforting to know the people 2,000 years ago to whom Jesus spoke this, they found it kind of hard and confusing too. They too kind of went, wait, hang on, we're supposed to eat your flesh and drink, wait, what are we doing? And so what I want to look at today is what I believe Jesus is trying to teach to the people in his audience then and to us here this morning. And it's that Jesus is the only one who satisfies. Jesus is the only one who satisfies. Um, when we study God's word, uh, and especially as I, as I teach, one of the things I try to do is to study and to teach telescopically telescopically. Here's what I mean by that. Too many times people think good Bible study is when I take it word by word and then I break that down and what part of speech is that verb and and what does it mean in Greek and Hebrew and, and what other context has it been used? And then we go to the next word and what does that word mean and what tense is it? And we go, okay, we're going to do that sometimes, but that's really weird to start there. We got to start stepping back take in the big picture, and then zoom in and see some of the details. And I hope that we do a bit of both. I hope that you, in your personal study, in your small groups, in your family, and even here this morning, that you do both. Because we sometimes need to look at the big picture of God's Word. And what I want to look at here is this kind of bigger picture of leading up to 
this, this teaching in John chapter 6. One of the sections that we skipped over in John chapter 2, Jesus says something interesting, and it happens almost exactly one year before this at the Feast of the Passover. And it says here in John chapter 2, now when he was at, in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about, about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And what's happening here is it's showing a lot of people are excited about Jesus. A lot of people see the signs and the wonders and the miracles that he's doing. And they say, yeah, this is neat. I want to follow him too. And Jesus says, great, okay, that's fine. But Jesus knows some people really do believe in me. They understand that I am the Son of God, the Messiah. Some people don't get it, and they're only following me sort of superficially. They want the signs and wonders, kind of like what we talked about last week. They're here to see a, a magician do tricks, and they don't really believe. And what we see all the way through this is that Jesus' popularity peaks kind of right at the end of chapter 5 and towards the beginning of chapter 6. When he does this sermon on the, or, uh, the excuse me, that's wrong, when he does the feeding of the 5,000, this represents the peak of Jesus' popularity. There are thousands of people thronging to hear him speak and to see him perform miracles. We're going to see by the end of the chapter, that starts to dwindle a bit. You know, when you start talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, it turns people away a little bit. And so you have these kind of layers of belief, those that believe he's someone special, but maybe not the Son of God, the promised Messiah, and then also some that do truly believe, yes, he is God's promised chosen one, the Messiah. <clears throat> the feeding of the 5,000, um, it, it takes place uh, it, at this uh, at Passover, kind of right in the middle of Jesus' ministry, and the story here, as recorded in John chapter 6, is full of allusions to the Old Testament. It is covered in all of these little details that are meant to make us think about stuff in the Old Testament so that it's on the reader's mind. I would love to be able to dive in and look at all of those things, and I, I encourage you to do that this week. Look for references or allusions to or even words that kind of remind you of Old Testament stories. But for now, I just want to give you a couple of examples. Uh, first off, he's this is the Passover. It tells us uh, he feeds the 5,000 on the Passover. So immediately we're trying to think, what's the Passover again? What are we doing? Oh yeah, let me flip back to Exodus chapter 12, the 10th plague, coming out of Egypt, remembering what it was the Israelites were going through, and then that command to keep, you know, you need to keep honoring this feast so that you remember what it was that God did for you. This is exactly one year since he had that Passover where he flipped over tables in Jerusalem and he talked about how, you know, this verse, some people are going to follow me and some people aren't. And it's exactly one year until Jesus himself is crucified and resurrected. Um, 
The other detail is that he's in the wilderness. This idea of Jesus being in the wilderness, you might think, hey, it's Passover. He's got to go to Jerusalem. That's where he was last year. That's where he's going to be next year. But instead, Jesus is up in Galilee. He goes up to Galilee to the other side of that, what we now call the Sea of Galilee or the Sea, uh, the Tiberias Sea. And he goes to the other side and, and he's just kind of out in the wilderness, just like the people were after they came out of Egypt. And then it says that Jesus goes up the mountain. It's an allusion to exactly what Moses does when they're out in the wilderness and Jesus goes up the mountain. Now, you can't think of, if you've ever been out west to, you know, the Rockies and Banff National Park or something like that, not that kind of mountain, okay? Um, this is more like, you know, the mountains that they have there, are more, we, we might call them hills, okay? Um, and so he, he is going up a little bit into this hilly area on the east side of the Sea of Galilee it, it, with all of these people. And everybody sits down, and this is where this happened. One final thing that I want to point out, <laughs> I, and maybe I'm just a nerd, but I, I was like, John tells us what kind of bread we have. Also, loaves, is, they're really more like flat crackers, but we'll get to that later. Um, but John, of all of the, the Gospels, John includes this details that they're barley loaves. This, this, other than the resurrection, this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And John is unique in, in, in saying, yeah, Jesus took these barley loaves. And I just went down the rabbit hole. I was like, what is that about? Where else do we have barley? You know? And as it turns out, there's a lot of allusions in this story to a miracle that Elisha performs in the first part of 2 Kings, where there's a whole bunch of people and they don't have enough food, but Elisha takes the barley loaves and he distributes them and there is enough to feed everyone miraculously. And even that story happens kind of in the midst of all of these other miracles that Elisha is performing. Water made sweet and raising a, a woman's son back to life and healing leprosy. And it's crazy. And I think that there is something deliberate that the audience is meant to have in our minds about the Old Testament and kind of thinking about God in this way. And all of these signs for hundreds of years that God has placed into the history of the Jewish people that are preparing them for this moment, that are preparing them for understanding and seeing uh, and seeing Jesus here, the Messiah. And they come and they ask, and in the first part of what we read, they ask this question. What must we do to be doing the works of God? I want you to really notice the way that they kind of frame that question. They've just seen a mighty miracle, and they're coming to Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, we get it. You're someone special. Tell us what we have to do. Tell us what we must do to be doing the works. See, it's on them. They have this in, in their mind, like, surely we need to do something. Tell us. And Jesus' answer is really brilliant in the way that he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. 
work, singular, of God, not you. What works do we need to do? No, 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 no. This is the work that God has already done. All that you have to do is understand and believe that. And what he is saying principally, it is not about anything that you do. It is about me, Jesus. Jesus is the only one who satisfies. All of the things that they are wondering, every question that they have in their mind, the answer is right in front of them. It's Jesus. And then, you know what they do? They have the audacity, the temerity, the gall, if you will. They say, well, what sign are you going to give us? Oh, I'm sorry. Was walking on water and feeding 5,000 and healing the paralytic not enough? The water into wine was not quite doing it for you. You have to imagine, like, you're asking for a sign? Seriously? After all that you've already seen? And there's something interesting about asking for signs and looking for signs. Uh, If I wanted to go to the airport and pretend it's 20 years ago and I don't have my phone to guide me or whatever, (laughs) but I might start driving west, you know, vaguely in the direction, and I might say to my wife or anybody else who's in the car with me, hey, can you make sure to look out for signs for the airport? Because as you approach any airport, really, you're going to see signs that point you in the right direction because a lot of people go to airports. And as I'm going, I'm saying, oh, do you still see? Okay, we're still going in the right direction. Okay, awesome. You, st- you see a sign? Okay, good. And I'm looking for signs the whole time. Now imagine if I arrived at the airport and I roll down my window and I ask one of those, you know, traffic attendants who's, they're always in a good mood. It's amazing. And, and I, I ask him, like, I'm so sorry. We're looking for signs for the airport. You know, sont les placards pour l'airport? You know, like, huh? I don't, what? The, you're here. You're at the airport. Why are you looking for signs to go to the airport? No, 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 no. I'm not interested in the airport. I want the signs that go to the airport. That's weird and absurd. And Jesus is trying to show them, you're asking for signs of what? Signs that point to God's promises? I'm right here. Here I am. And they say, well, you know how like in the Old Testament, when they were in the wilderness, uh, uh, God gave them bread from heaven, manna. You remember that? And he's like, you know, funny you should mention bread from heaven. I just gave you, anyway, okay. Um, And he says, listen, like, (laughs) in verse 32, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. By the way, this happens, this is, I don't know, three or four times in this chapter, all throughout John, all the time, you see Jesus respond in this way where he says, truly, truly. You see it in his, when Nicodemus asks him a question, he says, truly, truly, I say to you. That literally means amen, amen. And it's this way of Jesus saying I am telling you, this, this is God's word. It is, it is this kind of turn of phrase that we see John ascribing to Jesus all throughout his gospel. Anyway, that one's free. All right. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they respond by saying, 
that sounds great. Give us this bread. Come on. <laughs> I'm the bread, guys. You know, and, and, and the people, they, they go, okay, that bread sounds delicious. Can we have some of that? And Jesus goes, I am the bread. God is giving you this thing. Jesus is the only one who satisfies. The point of God's provision, uh, in, it, like in the Old Testament, God's provision was not the manna. The point of God saying, I'm going to take care of you, is not look at the manna. The point was that God had promised land to them, and he was leading them there. The manna from heaven was a sign that God would continue to take care of them. The manna was not the point. The manna was just to kind of get them there and encourage them and let them know you're on the right track. And here now, proverbially speaking, they've reached the promised land. Israel has its Messiah in front of them, and they're going, show us more. We want more signs. What's that bread you're talking about? And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. It's me. I am the one you want. I am the way that you get eternal life. And this is the first of of seven statements in John that Jesus makes about who he is and his identity and this analogy that he makes. I am the bread of life. And it's to get them to understand all these other kind of forms were signs that are meant to lead them to him. Jesus is not some other sign. He is the destination. Jesus is the answer. He is the point. He is the only one who satisfies. And the same way Jesus' signs uh, are, are... meant to show everyone that he is the Messiah. It alludes to the way that the manna in the desert was meant to show them along the way to the land that God had promised them and the bigger picture that he was painting. And then something interesting happens. If you look at verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him. Can we just stop for a second and say, like, we've already been talking about the Israelites wandering around in the desert and getting manna from heaven, and here we are out in the wilderness, and you're asking for bread, and you're grumbling because it's not the right kind of bread? This is a little too on the nose, okay? (laughs) You do remember what happened with those grumbling Israelites, right? Those people who didn't get it, who thought, oh man, it's, it's about the bread. They died there. None of them got to go into the promised land because they did not believe that that was where God was leading them. And here you are grumbling and complaining that this is not the bread you expected. It's me. I am the bread of life. And it's all, you know, very, very kind of um, uh, il- illustrative of the Old Testament stories and even uh, the, the story that they themselves bring up with the manna. <laughs> Those that ate the manna died. Everyone present for that, save for Caleb and Joshua, died out there in the wilderness. And it was an entirely new generation of people that had to understand the point is not the manna, the point is the promised land. The point is eternal life. The point is God pointing us towards a Messiah, a rescuer, who will give us eternal life. Who says, come, eat and never be hungry. Come, drink and never be thirsty. Because Jesus is the only one who satisfies. 
And still, these people, just like their ancestors in the desert, have a terrible habit of asking for things that ultimately won't satisfy them. Have you ever thought to yourself, I am so hungry, I gotta go buy some shoes? <laughs> or, oh, I am so thirsty, I need to fill the car up with gas. <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to the wrong thing to try and satisfy your longing. And in the same way that this crowd did not learn from their ancestors going to the wrong thing to satisfy them, they are looking for the wrong thing. Only Jesus can satisfy. And they're chasing after things that ultimately just left them still hungry and still thirsty. And so Jesus cuts to the chase. He just goes to the bottom line. He's like, hey, look, I... Here's what I'm telling you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, whoever feeds on me and he, he also will live because of me. And you think, okay, what is, so we're supposed to eat Jesus I don't understand. What does that mean? He has told us what it means twice in verse 29 and in verse 47. Right before he says, I am the bread of life, he says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. This is about believing in me. The heart issue here is not works that you can do. It is believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he promised he would. Your ancestors in the wilderness, many of them did not get it. Many of you do not get it and you're going to make the same mistake. The issue is not what you do or chasing after signs or things that will ultimately leave you even hungrier still. The issue is believing in me because I am the only one that satisfies, Jesus says. Jesus is the only one who satisfies. And he says that. This is the work of God. <laughs> I realize, I, I, that you believe in me I, and whoever believes in me couple of sides behind there, sorry. And there's something interesting that happens. After this, the people that are listening, they think to themselves, this is too much. This is too hard to understand. This is complicated. This is weird. I'm out. And if you look down at verse 66, many of them turn away. Many of them say, I, uh, no. And Jesus, this unbelievably popular worker of miracles, in front of thousands of people, is telling them something so hard that they just cannot believe in him, and they turn and they go away. And they don't realize that he is the only one who satisfies. So we come to us. So what? What are we going to do about this? I think just like the Israelites wandering around in the desert for 40 years and just like the people who had just seen Jesus perform a miracle of feeding 5,000 men and their families, we too often chase after things that don't satisfy us. We too often go to things that will only leave us hungrier and thirstier still. 
and we fail to recognize that Jesus is the only one who satisfies. I am not immune from this. I am not holier than all of you. I do this too. And when I am stressed out and I've had a particularly difficult day or I'm in a hard place, I hit the gym and I pump iron and I get super buff. Okay, I'm kidding, obviously. I eat. Um, I eat. I go home and I, I find comfort in chili con queso and nachos. And will that solve all of my problems? No, absolutely not. But we do this all of the time. Maybe yours is going to the gym. Maybe it's working on your image. Maybe it's porn or alcohol. Maybe it's fame or success. Maybe it's building your brand. Maybe it's making sure you've got a million YouTube followers. Whatever it is that you are chasing after, I hope that you realize it will leave you dissatisfied until you realize Jesus is the only thing that satisfies us. There is a hole inside all of us that only God can fill. And I believe this, that this is evident that even people who do not call on Jesus recognize many of the hollow pursuits of this world. To quote one famous actor, Jim Carrey said, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they'll know that it's not the answer. And many other famous and rich and wealthy and, and, uh, and powerful people say similar things. I thought that if I just got to a million, I'd be happy. I thought that if I just got to marriage, I'd be happy. I thought that if I just got to president of the company, I'd be happy. I thought that if I just got to whatever it is, I'd be happy. And they realize there's still this longing inside of me that has not been satisfied. And what we need to know, and what we all, all of us need to know, is that Jesus is the only one who satisfies. Um, you know, maybe for you, you go to all of these things to fill you, to satisfy you, and you experience this, and you feel the emptiness that comes with these hollow pursuits. Let me encourage you. What does it look like to know that Jesus is the only one who satisfies? When you find yourself in a hard place or when you find yourself needing validation or when you find yourself needing comfort in hard or frustrating times, go to your spiritual disciplines. I know that this is a cliched and rote thing for a pastor to say, read your Bible. But I mean, read your Bible. <laughs> you know? This week, if, if, if you get to a place where you're going, I, I just, ah. Uh, I'm longing for something. Sit down and read Psalm 90. If you're in a place where you're going, I don't know what to do, go to community. Find your life group. Rest on them. Confess your sins and your anxieties and your fears and your hopes and your dreams to other people in community that understand and know this truth that Jesus is the only one who satisfies. Enrich your prayer life. Make prayer the first thing that you do during hard times or frustrating times or when you don't understand or when you need a little bit extra encouragement or boldness. Go to God in prayer. There's one last little epilogue. After many turn away and Jesus' popularity suddenly dips big time, 
he turns to the apostles. He turns to his 12 closest followers, one of whom, it says, he already knows is going to betray him. But he turns to these men and he says, how about you guys? Is this too hard for you? Are you also going to turn away? And Peter, who really puts his foot in his mouth many times, (laughs) Peter has some great quotes on both sides here, but Peter responds really, really wisely, and he says, Lord, where else would we go? Who else is going to give us this bread? Who else is going to give us living water? Who else in all of this world promises and delivers Water that will make us thirst no more. Bread of life so that we will never go hungry again. I'm with you to the end. I'm going to follow you. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes away. Whatever it costs. However I end up, I'm following you. I'd love to tell you he does that perfectly, but we'll look at that later on in the book of John. And for me, it it reminds me a little bit of the resolve that we need when when we come face to face with this truth that Jesus is the one who satisfies. And I'd like to end in a a more unusual and participatory way. There's an old song that's very, very simple that I would love for you all to join me in. I'm going to start and then turn my microphone off and those that are good singers maybe carry But the resolve that they show shows this. I have decided to follow Jesus. Would you, with me, sing this very simple song, I have decided to follow Jesus? I have decided. turning back behind me the cross before me the world behind me the cross before me the world behind me the cross before me no turning back, no turning back. Friends, Jesus is the only one who satisfies. Oh God, I pray that we would find all of our joy and fulfillment and satisfaction in you. May we, when the world promises and lets us down, remind ourselves and others as we proclaim your gospel that you, Jesus, are the only one who makes us right with God. You, Jesus, are the only one that satisfies the deep longings of our souls. 
And only in you do we find truth and hope and joy and love in the way that God intended us to know and understand. I pray that we would do that this week and today as we go out. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.